where we dropping boys? The Taco Town. <laughs> God. Welcome to Tech Tales. I'm Corbin Davenport. I'm Jacob Westall. And today we're talking about the Apple Lisa computer. Do you do you know anything about the Lisa? Just where the name comes from. That is important in this story. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, the the Lisa is definitely I think one of the most interesting Apple products. It wasn't it wasn't successful, but it wasn't like a huge market failure either. It's important because it laid a lot of the groundwork for the Macintosh. So Lisa itself maybe wasn't super important, but it is interesting. Yeah. So Apple began working on the Apple Lisa in 1978. And at that time, I believe the Apple II had just come out. I think that was 1977. Um, so at this point, Apple only had... 8-bit computers that were pretty similar to what other companies were making, where there was no desktop, you were typing in all your commands, floppy drives were still kind of new at the time, <laughs> like you were storing data on cassette tapes. Yeah. <laughs> and the Apple Lisa was intended to be a more modern version of the Apple II computer. It would sort of be the successor to that. And Steve Wozniak was going to be the main designer for the Lisa because he had done most of the design work on the Apple I and the Apple II. But at this point, Wozniak was sort of drifting away from Apple. The project was quickly turned over to Ken Rothmuller, who was formerly a director at HP. So I know you mentioned the only thing you know about this computer is the name. Yeah. You, uh, can you? Where does the name come from, Jake? If I'm not mistaken, it's one of the children of Steve Jobs. Yes. So the project started around the same time that Steve Jobs' daughter, Lisa, was born, which was in 1978. However, soon after the project started, Steve Jobs uh, started denying he was the father of Lisa. Oh, God. Uh, which, yeah, which continued for several years. So that's a whole thing that I'm not going to get into because that's... Uh, it's it's not fun and there's a lot of not fun stuff there <laughs> because all that sort of happens and i guess apple never goes with a different name i saw some articles that mentioned that apple brought in some marketing people to try to come up with a different name at some point but it just never happens so they kind of need a, a different reason for why they called the lisa computer the lisa instead of Oh, it's named after Steve Jobs' kid that he doesn't want to be associated with right now. <laughs> so at some point, Apple invents the reverse acronym Locally Integrated Software Architecture, or LISA for short. And they insist that's the original reason for the name. Like, that's where the name comes from. Um, everyone knows it's it's not that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but that's what they say it is. And the the name sort of becomes like a running joke some software engineers inside of Apple started calling it Lisa invented stupid acronym. <laughs> Recursive names. Love them. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw at least one article where someone called it, let's invent some acronym. So the project started in 1978, 
by 1979, they had an initial design that was completed and approved. However, this design is pretty different from what the final computer would look like when it comes out in 1983. It has a green phosphorus CRT, it has a 16-bit processor, and it has a high-capacity floppy drive. And the goal was to keep the price under $2,000. So again, it's supposed to be a successor to the Apple II, which was expensive when it came out, but still kind of accessible. Yeah. Like this was a thing that normal families could save up to buy, like a yeah. car. <laughs> yeah. And this original design they were hoping to release in 1981. However, uh, Roth Mueller did not think the Lisa could meet this 1981 deadline. And he brings this issue to Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, as a result, removes him as manager of the project. <laughs> And replaces him with uh, another person who used to work at HP, John Couch. Yes, his name is actually John Couch. <laughs> There's some weird names out there. So, new manager comes in. However, the work on the Lisa project is still pretty slow. By late 1979, the Lisa team hadn't even picked a processor for the machine. Like, the most important part. Yeah. <laughs> What's your architecture? Uh... <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Is it a computer? Yeah. So this is also around the time that Jeff Raskin, who was a manager on the Macintosh project, which was going on at the same time, joined the Lisa team because the Mac was still waiting on approval for some designs. So he was like, I'll come help you guys out. So probably the most important part of the Lisa's development, and this carries over to the Macintosh as well, is when Xerox comes into the picture in 1979. So I assume you've heard of Xerox. Right, yeah. Yeah, they make printers, <laughs> copiers, I think. Yeah. But they didn't always do that. They used to do a lot more. In 1973, Xerox Park created the Alto workstation, the Xerox Alto. And this was the first computer with a operating system based on a graphical user interface. So this is the first computer ever that you're not typing in commands to do things. It's got floating windows that you can drag stuff and, and applications open on top of each other. And that was really revolutionary for the time. But Xerox doesn't really do a lot with it. They don't sell a lot of these workstations, partially because they're incredibly expensive. Yeah, so I imagine. They're not selling them to normal people. Businesses don't really... They're not really trying to sell it either. It was kind of more of like a tech demo, almost. Yeah. Now, in 1979, Steve Jobs makes an offer to Xerox where he says Xerox can invest $1 million in Apple in exchange for two guided tours of Xerox's technology to Apple engineers. So at this point, Apple is not a publicly traded company, but they're making a lot of money. So... The idea of, like, you can be in on the ground floor, Xerox, if you just let our engineers hang out with you for a while and show them around. And Xerox is like, yeah, sure, that sounds great. Oh, no. <laughs> so Xerox accepted that deal, and they started giving tours to Apple executives and engineers on the Lisa project. So as a result of these meetings, the Lisa project changes dramatically. 
Instead of serving as a minor hardware upgrade for the Apple II, the Lisa would shift to sort of be this high-end workstation with a huge focus on software. This is when Trip Hawkins, who was the marketing and planning manager for the Lisa project, rewrote the specifications for Lisa to include a graphical interface, a mouse, and networking abilities. So now it's like, okay, guys, we need a mouse and we need a GUI. We need these two things in our computer. Oh, what? Yeah. <laughs> and, and networking, newfangled networking stuff. And so the Apple engineers are pretty excited to work on this. This is actually when a lot of researchers from Xerox quit Xerox to go work at Apple. Oh, <laughs> because, because Apple's actually like doing things. Yeah. Whereas I'm sure all of them at Xerox, you know, they made this cool workstation thing. And then Xerox is like, all right, guys, that's cool. That's it. We're not doing anything with it. Pat yourself on the back. That's all you're getting. Yeah. Good job, guys. All right. Go work on this copier, please. <laughs> so the Lisa team starts growing substantially. And in 1980, it becomes a separate division inside of Apple. This is also when they move to a larger two-story office building. Oh, man. Yeah. Which Apple engineers uh, have a nickname for, which is Taco Towers. Oh, that's such a great name. <laughs> it sounds like something in Fortnite. <laughs> Where are we dropping, boys? The Taco Tower. <laughs> <laughs> the Tower's name comes from the fact that all the other Apple offices were one story. So in comparison, this was pretty cool. <laughs> um, I, I have no idea where the taco part came from. The, the Apple engineer that was talking about this, and I think an article or something he wrote, uh, he didn't know where the taco name came from. I know another office building at Apple where the Lisa team originally was, and then the Mac team moves in after this happens, uh, I think was called the Good Earth building, because it was next to a restaurant called Good Earth. So... I don't. I don't know. Maybe, maybe this was next to a Taco Bell or something. I was about to make that joke. Like, yeah, were they close to a Del Taco or? <laughs> yeah, I think they had Taco Bell in the eighties. Yeah, assuming. they did. I wasn't alive back then, so I, I'm. I can't verify myself. At this point, Steve Jobs asks Apple CEO at the time, who was Mike Scott, to appoint him as the head of the Lisa project. So Steve Jobs wants to run the Lisa project fully. However, Steve Jobs was in no way qualified to lead the project uh, compared to the current manager, John Couch. So Mike Scott says no. Then Steve Jobs gets upset and he goes and takes control of the Macintosh team from Jeff Raskin. And then Jobs sort of held a grudge against Elisa until it was discontinued. So totally normal tech company things. Yeah. After that fun little kerfuffle the Lisa team establishes the final hardware for the machine. So at this point, they choose the Motorola 6800 as the processor after they consider the Intel 8088, which was used in the first IBM PC a little bit later in time. And they also considered the Zilog Z800, which was not a very popular CPU. It was used in almost nothing. For storage... Steve Jobs insisted on using Apple's five and a quarter inch Twiggy floppy drives in the Lisa. And 
these drives had very serious reliability issues. Like they did not work well, <laughs> but the engineers just sort of assumed the issues would work themselves out. They'd figure it out eventually. And they did not figure it out eventually. <laughs> I've been down that road. Never take it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Never assume something will get fixed. Usually things get worse oh, as definitely. you keep working on something. Stuff breaks. As an actual engineer, when you push it off, it just gets worse. <laughs> Did you make the floppy drive in the <laughs> No, it I assumed that a small part of scope for one project would go away and it ended up tripling. So instead of just designing one thing, I had to design three times that amount of thing later on the road, even closer to the deadline. Nice. Yeah. Well, if if you fix the issue, then you you technically ended up better than the Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> also, the whole computer would be contained in a single case, with the exception of the keyboard and mouse, which plugged into it. And this was different than the Apple One and Apple II, and I... I think most very I think there were a couple of variations of the Apple II that had a built-in display, but most of them didn't. So this was pretty different for Apple. Also, the display for the Lisa had a pretty wide resolution of 720 pixels by 360 pixels. And that was done so that it could display 80 columns of text without horizontal scrolling. Hmm. So like a lot of other computers at the time, they weren't fully 80 column so when you were typing something that was intended to go on a piece of paper they would have to like scroll horizontally yeah. to get the full page in but right. they didn't want to do that on the lisa and that wider resolution ended up being really great for text applications not so much for graphical stuff <laughs> like one of the applications that eventually gets created for the lisa is like a, a sketching application like for making presentations and stuff and it doesn't look great on the, on the lisa <laughs> there's not a lot of there's not as much a vertical space as there is widescreen so they finally got the hardware working but they still had some issues with the software so the original software that they were sort of using as inspiration from that xerox alto workstation was incredibly difficult to learn like it was not intuitive whatsoever <laughs> The Lisa team was hoping to change that. Their first idea for the interface was called the filer. And basically how this worked is that the filer would ask the person using the computer a series of questions about what task they wanted to accomplish. And when enough questions were answered, the tasks were executed. So what? Would, would, yeah, that kind of sounds like a command prompt, but worse. Yeah. <laughs> or like, you know, actually, you know what it sounds like is a automated phone line. Oh, God. So I guess maybe if someone using the Lisa and they just yelled operator enough times, <laughs> it would it would it would, <laughs> it would do it what would they drop them to a terminal. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that was not good. When they made that, they noticed that it was very fast for experienced users, I guess, in the same way that. Like a phone line is where if you call a company enough times, you can, you, you remember the, the, uh, conversation tree and you if can you get to your where your party's you're... extension, dial it now. Yeah. 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 <laughs> they realize this is a problem when Dan Smith, who is the creator of this design takes his prototype Lisa computer home and he tries to get his wife to use it. 
and oh she can't figure this out at all. <laughs> <laughs> Me when I first showed my wife the gnome interface. <laughs> what is this? She gets it now, but oh boy, was she pissed when she first saw that. Dan, where's my Commodore 64? What is this? <laughs> uh, Dan, I, Dan, I want my Apple II back. No, honey, you get Lisa. <laughs> yeah. You use Lisa now. This is a Lisa household. <laughs> Ain't no Barton here. So, after this, Dan Smith is like, ah, crap. <laughs> this isn't good. Uh, we screwed it up, guys. So this is when he gets two other engineers at Apple, Frank Ludoff and Bill Atkinson, and they spend a weekend at Atkinson's home in mid-1982 to brainstorm a replacement for Filer, like over the course of a weekend. <laughs> they, do, they do like a huddle at his house, like, all right, guys, we got to try again. <laughs> and by Monday morning, they had a early version of Filer's replacement, which was called the Desktop Manager, and... Upper management liked it and it was approved. So they start working on that instead. So desktop manager is, it's what we get on the final Lisa computer. So there's plenty of video and photos of this in action. And it's a lot closer to the early Mac, but it's, it's still a little bit different than what we're used to today. So the main difference was that it was document centric. Mm-hmm. So, like, if you wanted to make a new text document, you would not open the text editor application on the Lisa and start typing. Instead, you would open an existing document you had, or if you want to make it something new, you had a stationary file, and you would create it from the stationary. Hmm. <laughs> Which is... Interesting? I mean, it, I guess it it makes more sense because, again, like the whole idea of the desktop metaphor is that people who are used to desktop, like physical organizing yeah. files and writing stuff like you, you take a sticky note off the top of the stack. You don't just poof one out of nowhere. Right. So I guess it makes sense. It's a little bit weird. Yeah. So besides the actual operating system itself, the desktop manager, Apple also heavily invested in the suite of desktop applications they were making for the Lisa. And this was called the Lisa office system, and it was bundled with every computer. So this is where you would spend most of your time with the Lisa in, because the office suite had a spreadsheet application called Lisa Calc. It had a Lisa Draw which was a vector graphics drawing application. Um, it had Lisa Graph, which was specifically for creating graphs, and it could interact with Lisa Calc for data. There was Lisa List, which was a tool for creating small databases. There was Lisa Project, which was a project manager application. So it was kind of for like making timelines of what you're working on and assigning them to people. And this actually wasn't going to be in the office suite originally. It was just made by someone inside of Apple to use inside of Apple. Mm -hmm. But someone saw it and they're like, oh, that's cool. Throw it in. <laughs> we can make some money with this. Yeah. The package also had Lisa Write, which was the word processor, which had different fonts and formatting options, which was pretty cool at the time. But it did lack some features that were standard in other word processing applications at the time. Like, it had no spell checker at all, huh. which a little bit weird. Like, even computers at other computers at the time had word processors with spell checkers. 
And there was also uh, Lisa Terminal, which was for connecting to other computers because yeah. Lisa wanted to do networking stuff that we mentioned earlier. Around more than half of the Lisa team worked on this office suite. Hmm. And this does also get reworked a little bit for the, the when the Macintosh comes out. Some of the apps for the Macintosh are based on these Lisa apps. So now I have a Wall Street Journal article written by Marilyn Chase from January of 1983 that uh, you can read for the class. It's a little bit long, I'm sorry. Oh, man. On January 19th, after months of rumors, computer buffs will finally get a look at Apple Computer Inc.'s Lisa Computer. But the official unveiling of the machine at Apple's annual meeting doesn't mean speculation about the future of the company will stop. The Lisa, Apple's first new computer in three years, is being billed as easy-to-use, second-generation machine. Early indications are that it has impressed the small group of potential users and industry watchers who have been given an advanced look. But the Lisa, which will be priced at around $8,000 to $10,000, will have to be very good, and so will Apple's other market entries, the Apple IIe, a souped-up version of the company's mainstay Apple II that's expected to produce revenue in the short term, and the Macintosh, a cheaper and simpler version of the Lisa that is scheduled to come out next summer. In addition, the Lisa is aimed at a market that is traditionally IBM's turf. Apple hopes to sell the machine to the nation's largest companies for use in office automation networks. The intended user is the last holdout in the automated office market, the executive who has always believed that the keyboards are for the secretaries. Wow. (laughs) it's a different time (laughs) (laughs) yeah but apple got its marketing experience selling personal computers to families and small businesses shifting to corporate customers will require some changes apple also hasn't confirmed any of the speculation about lisa's features people who were given an advanced look had to sign a pledge of confidentiality but the lisa is expected to resemble xerox corporation's star which came out 18 months ago at a price of $16,000 and was only a modest commercial success. Nevertheless, Esther Dyson, vice president of Rosen Research Incorporated, expresses the view of many in the industry when she says that the Lisa announcement is going to be anticlimactic. Lisa's expensive and overexposed. So people maybe aren't super excited for this. (laughs) (laughs) no but this is when apple's project strategy starts to materialize so the idea is that the lisa comes out first and it's going to be this expensive but powerful workstation computer Mm -hmm. and then the next year in 1984 they'll have the macintosh which is going to be the the cheaper less powerful option and also, at this point, they're still selling the Apple II. They end up selling the Apple II line way after all this. The Apple II outlives the Lisa by a, a long shot. It's not even close. Yeah. So that article was written in January of 1983. In June of 1983 is when Apple releases the Lisa. So the final price for this computer ends up being $9,995. And again, this is 1983. So converted for inflation in 2021 that is twenty seven thousand dollars 
that's a lot of money <laughs> for is for it, a computer. I, and what's silly is that I'm sure there are computers on Apple's website in the year of 2021 that cost that much. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm yeah. sure I can just go look it up, and I'm yeah, a mid-level, I don't know, Mac Pro workstation will probably cost that much. Yeah, you get the Mac Pro, you get a couple sets of wheels. They'll probably come out to be about that much. <laughs> yeah. Just buy a bunch of wheels and stick them to every side. Make your own custom Apple rollerblades. The computer is so expensive because Apple CEO at the time, John Scully, thought that the Lisa team needed to recover the millions of dollars they invested in this, mm. which uh, is, I don't, I, that doesn't seem to have been a winning strategy, but I understand no. where he's coming from. Yeah. So now what we're going to do is we're going to watch a video demo that Apple made for the Lisa computer. And I love how cheesy this video is, but it's also a great demonstration of what this computer can do. All right, so go on three, two, one, go. Okay, see you later. That was a great presentation you made in there. Do you know I put together that entire project, including the presentation slides, just this morning? Had your whole department working on it, huh? No, I used my new Lisa personal computer. A personal computer did all of that? That's right. Incredible. The Lisa computer is incredible. In just a few moments, it helped me adjust a schedule chart. Update an entire budget. Write a memo. Which included part of the develop some graphics and create a distribution list and I had time to spare before my meeting and now with my Lisa working for me I can do this kind of project every day and still have time to relax what's so special about Lisa why don't I just show you how I did this You see, Lisa's screen is special. Now, you can think of it as being like your office with a desktop and other office fixtures. Now, you see what I mean about the screen? It's very graphical. Here's a place to store information, a folder, and a place to get rid of information, a waste paper basket. On the top of the screen, there's a menu bar. It tells you what kinds of functions are available at any one time. This entire arrangement is called the desktop manager. We control Lisa by pointing to these images on the screen with this unique item called a mouse. By moving the mouse, we move the pointer. To open my folder, I point to it and click the mouse button, selecting it. That Lisa computer, that, it's, a, it's very chonky on the desk. It's, oh, yeah. It's not compact whatsoever. <laughs> it sort of looks like a a TV with a section on the side for the floppy disk, and then the keyboard kind of, you shove it below. Mm. But it, it protrudes a lot. Because, you yeah, know, it's a, full, it, it's a CRT. We didn't have flat displays yet. <laughs> <laughs> what kills me is that the floppy drives are still, like, horizontal instead of just being flipped vertical to save space. Which, again, it's the 80s. They probably had, the drives probably took up literally all of that space. 
Yeah, I don't think it would have made a difference if if they no. flipped him vertically. But yeah, it, it's it's a big computer. Definitely. And they showed off some of the desktop environment there. Do you have any any feelings on the Lisa OS? It's just, it seems like my first experience with a computer was literally in like the very start of grade school. So, you know, being brought up on kind of like the Windows point and click style of computing, like the idea that you had to click the folder, then move your mouse all the way to the other side of the screen to the menu bar, click a button, and then click another button to open it. It just seems very chunky, like very, I don't know. It is it is very slow operation, like especially yeah. when when that guy was showing it. I don't I don't know if you can double click stuff to open on the Lisa, but the the demo the guy was doing was he would move the mouse over a folder and then go to the menu on the completely other side of the screen and yeah. click open. Yeah, it is very slow going, and also the Lisa computer itself is pretty slow. So that's it doesn't help. <laughs> no, <laughs> Lisa. Lisa's not a fast girl. <laughs> oh man! But it it does look a lot like the early Mac, and yeah. by extension, early Windows. Like he's got he's got icons on the desktop. There's a menu taking up the entire top section of the screen. Yeah, and it's easy to kind of see where the where they tried to take from the physical like wooden desktop and try to virtualize it if you will because you know you'll have the physical manila folders laying out on the top and then when you go to open one up it just kind of fills up more space on the desk yeah like he's got his folders lined up across the bottom inside of the desk top Mm -hmm. of of the desktop like you probably would with a normal desk Uh, also the icons are very well organized which is completely different from my mom's computer desktop (laughs) Okay, so now let's skip in that video to okay, jump to jump to eight ten and let me know when you're ready. Alright, I clicked it. Okay, three, two, one, go. If I want to insert any part of this budget into a memo or a report, I use the mouse to select the information. I then go to the edit menu and choose copy. I've now made a copy of the model, which I can use later. I'll set aside the budget for now. To create a memo, like the one I have here, I begin with LisaWrite, Lisa's powerful word processing tool, and I type my memo. Then I add the LisaCalc model I just copied by positioning the pointer and pressing the mouse button. I get a vertical flashing bar to show me where the insertion will be. When I choose Paste from the Edit menu, the model is added into my memo. I can also insert text, say a heading above this model. Again, I select my insertion point and just type. I can even center it and then change the text style. How about bold? I can work with any document until it looks the way I like. And then with Lisa's printer, well, I can copy the document exactly as it appears on the screen. I love I love watching videos like this where they show concepts that are new at the time, but now we're all used to. Yeah. It's like what this guy's doing in the snippet we just watched is he's got Lisa Calc open, which is the spreadsheet, which it just looks like Excel. Yeah. And 
and he takes a selection of rows and columns from the spreadsheet and he pastes it into a Word document, which turns it into just text formatting, um, which is, you know, like what all desktop applications do now. Like you can just select stuff from one app and then copy it and paste it somewhere else. But yeah. almost no computers could do this in 1983, especially this kind of interoperability between applications where you had a, a clipboard that could very quickly transfer data from one thing to the next. And, yeah. and there's even some cool formatting going on where like when he selects the cells in the spreadsheet and then pastes it, when it pastes into the text document, it formats like lines mm -hmm. for the cells. Like it, it's, there's some very smart programming going on here. Definitely. Yeah. Like this is, this is pretty cool, especially considering all the, you know, 8-bit computers that are popular at the time, they have word processors and they have spreadsheet apps, but they don't really talk to each other. And and more importantly, they're not the what you see is what you get design. So yeah. like when he was typing up a document, he could just change the font and change the the font weight from normal to bold. And None of that really worked on 8-bit computers because they were just displaying text and they, you know, they can't format the text. Normally watching this video, someone would be like, okay, yeah, this is how computers yeah, mm -hmm. work. Yeah, that was, this is the standard now. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it is very cool. You know, when the Lisa comes out, this office system is like the best part about it because yeah. there aren't really any other computers that do this. And it's not until we get, again, the Macintosh popularizes this when it comes out a year after this then a year after that we get the first version of microsoft windows so yeah. it takes a while for this to to spread to the mainstream so all that's pretty cool but the lisa does not sell well like at all <laughs> so from june of 1983 when this computer comes out to the end of the year apple sells 13,000 lisa computers which is about what they were hoping that was their initial expectations However, Apple expected to sell 80,000 Lisa computers in 1984, but they only sell 40,000, and sales dropped even lower in 1985. Oh, man. And it's not just the price that's the issue. The The other main problem with the Lisa that really harms its image, even after the, the price drops come that we're about to talk about, is those floppy drives they're they're not they're not good <laughs> like it's it's really not good when your main storage for a computer just fails sometimes and you lose data that's not good no the lisa could be configured to have a hard drive inside it i believe apple sold 10 megabyte and 20 megabyte hard drives but then then the lease is even more expensive so i, I don't know how many people went for that not everyone wanted computer wheels on their Lisa. <laughs> Cowards. <laughs> so Lisa comes out in 1983. In January of 1984 is when Apple releases the first Macintosh computer. And I won't go too deep into the Mac because that's, that's a whole other thing. And I'll be here all day if I'm also <laughs> explaining <laughs> everything about the Mac and, and how cool it was at the time. But I will go over the SparkNotes version and why it matters for the Lisa. So, you know, we've been talking about how the Macintosh project was happening at the same time as the Lisa. 
And the Mac was sort of intended as the the cheaper, lower-end, mainstream Lisa. Like, corporate customers and governments and stuff would buy the Lisa when they needed all the all the cool, powerful stuff, and then just normal people would buy a Mac. So the Mac was worse than the Lisa in a lot of ways. Like, it had a smaller screen. It was still black and white only, just like the Lisa. It only had one floppy drive, but it was a, a floppy drive that didn't fail all the time. It was a three and a half inch, 400K disc. So kind of, I guess maybe an upgrade more than a downgrade. I don't know if one functional floppy drive is better than two kind of functional floppy drives. The Mac also had no internal hard drives at all. So oh, that floppy drive was the only storage you're getting. Also, the original Mac had no multitasking which the Lisa could do, so that was also worse. But in almost every other way, the Macintosh was vastly superior to the Lisa. <laughs> the initial pricing for the Mac was $2,495, and converted for inflation in 2021, that's $6,587. Good God. <laughs> so, that yeah, that's expensive, but it's not $27,000. So the price was so much better. No competition there. And also the Mac was faster than the Lisa, partially because the CPU in the Mac was 8 megahertz compared to the Lisa CPU, which was 5 megahertz. I think it was the same chip, but it was just clocked faster. Yeah. Partially because of a improved design and just the fact that it was it had the lower resolution screen, so it didn't need to work as hard to refresh everything on the screen. It was also faster because a lot of the software for the Lisa, including the whole desktop environment, was written in the Pascal programming language. But for the Mac, the Macintosh team took some of that Lisa code and they just rewrote it as assembly language. So it was much faster. So in the end, the Macintosh was like sort of a cheaper lower end Lisa, but also is better in a lot of ways. On the same day the Macintosh was introduced, Apple also releases the Lisa 2. And at this point, it's still positioned as a higher-end Mac. So, like, if you need to get serious work done, you go buy a Lisa 2. Yeah. Also, this is really funny. Initially, the only way you could create software for the Macintosh was with a Lisa. Oh, jeez. Now Apple's selling this to anyone who wants to make software for the Mac, which yeah, probably helps. Uh, um, yeah, totally. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. like the original Mac, again, was not that powerful. <laughs> the main hardware difference with the Lisa 2 was that Apple switched the floppy drives to the same 400K, 3.5-inch floppy disk drive that the Macintosh had. So finally, it doesn't have floppy drives that just randomly fail. Also, the Lisa 2 is a lot less expensive. The starting price for a Lisa 2 with no hard drive installed was $3,495. And converted for inflation, that's $9,303 in 2021. Oh, man. Yeah, so the, the Macintosh was around $2,500. Lisa 2 was roughly $3,500. Also, Apple did something that's hilarious to me, where because the Lisa was now like the development machine for Macintosh software, and because the Macintosh was 
really going to be Apple's focus for the future. Around the time the Lisa 2 came out, Apple released this application called MacWorks for the Lisa. How this worked is that when you booted into MacWorks, the Lisa would actually switch to an emulated version of the Macintosh operating system. So <laughs> Apple so Apple is now shipping an emulator for their new computer for their their old computer essentially. But also when the Lisa was in MacWorks mode, it couldn't use a lot of its own features. So like you couldn't run the Lisa system and MacWorks at the same time. You had to God. like you had to boot into MacWorks. And so also it was in, just an old clunky dual boot. Yeah. Yeah, basically, yeah, it's dual booting. And also that initial version of MacWorks, they eventually update this later, but at the start, MacWorks could not access the Lisa's internal hard drive, which was annoying. So when you were in Mac mode, you can only use floppy disks. <laughs> so yeah, that was fun. And then in January of 1985, Apple rebrands the Lisa 2 with the 10 megabyte hard drive option as the Macintosh XL, and they lower the price again. <laughs> so so now the Lisa is just a, the big Mac. <laughs> <laughs> No fries on this one. And this is also around the time when the MacWorks software was updated to allow the emulated macOS to use the internal hard drive. So now at this point, a lot of people are buying this and they might not even know that it's like a different computer. <laughs> like they buy it and a lot of people only used MacWorks. And also MacWorks was still kind of weird because... You know, it was emulating the original Mac, which had a different screen resolution than the Lisa. So MacWorks was kind of stretched out when you were using it. Mm -hmm. So again, very weird. However, Apple does sell a lot of Macintosh XLs. At least they do initially. I was reading an article that mentioned that around mid-1985, the Macintosh XL is basically sold out everywhere by that point, like a couple months after it comes out. And Apple just doesn't restock it. Eh, we sold enough. We're good. Yeah. I, I think it was totally like we built X number of Lisa boards. You know, we have this many floppy drives. We're just going to rebrand it as a Mac and sell it with the emulator. And then once we run out of those, we're done. Yeah. That would be my guess about what happened here. Because it, it does leave a couple people confused where finally Apple has a Lisa computer that's selling well. And then finally, in 1986, the whole Lisa series is discontinued. So that's it. <laughs> that's the end of Lisa. Quite the, quite the long lifespan there. So yeah, the, the Lisa wasn't really successful. But because so much of the Macintosh project was based on work on the Lisa, it's still a very important computer in the grand scheme of things. Because... You know, like I said earlier, the Macintosh ends up being the template for like a really good computer for new people for yeah a decade or more. They still got what they wanted in the end. It was just not the team they had set out to. Yeah, this happens a lot in the tech industry where yeah. your first attempt at something new kind of sucks. But then by Gen 2 or or the rewrite for an application, then it's really good. Like, I think, I know one example that comes to mind was the Nintendo DS, where if you remember that that first DS was not good, it was very ugly, it was kind of bulky, especially compared to the, the Game Boy. Yeah, because I had the 
the Game Boy Color, and then the Game Boy SP, and then the Nintendo DS. Yeah, and the the SP was so slick. Oh yeah, I love that thing. <laughs> and the the DS was just this huge monster in comparison, and you know it's it's still it still sells really well, but. I think a year or two later, Nintendo comes out with the DS Lite, and then that's that's just perfect. That's the perfect yeah. handheld console. They nailed it. You got to get the the idea into people's hands and then really fine tune it. 